Hey, this is Jonathan with the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast, and I have with me today Mr. Dave Pinson from Trinity Multifamily. And so today's topic is uh, around the, uh, the, the, the idea of property management. And so Dave has had a uh, long career in doing property management, actually uh, a lot in student housing. So I'm going to pause and let Dave kind of uh, introduce himself. Go ahead, Dave. Could you introduce yourself? Jonathan, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast today. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you about the topic of property management. I've been in the business almost 20 years and actually started as a leasing agent. And about the first eight years of my career, I did student housing primarily on medium-sized state university campuses and running off-campus privatized student housing as well with apartments and things of that nature. I've been with Trinity Multifamily for almost a decade now and started at this firm as a regional director and have been blessed and fortunate enough over the years to, to work myself into the, into the CEO spot with the company. Uh, we currently manage about 20,000 units in 12 states. We've managed as many as 17 in 17 states. Uh, with places like Arizona, Ohio, uh, Indiana, uh, Michigan, and places like that. So you've you've seen them come and you've seen them go in some <laughs> in so many ways. It's the seller's market right now, and with a property manager, in some cases, you know, you, you you do your job too well, you you get sent home because the, you know you help investors meet their investor investment goals, and uh, another buyer comes in, buys the property, and already have already has a relationship with another property management firm. So uh, you guys right now, and I can understand that, but you guys right now have about 20,000 units under uh, management, correct? That, yes, sir. That, that's correct. And we really run the host of different asset types from brand new, new construction, A-class lease-ups uh, to, to well-located B and C-class deals. And uh, we do a lot of workforce housing. I would say that's probably our bread and butter is the, uh, is the workforce housing niche, the, uh, the B and C-class market. Uh, we do some storage units, and then we also have a growing LITEC portfolio right now as well. LITEC would be the affordable um, housing. housing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's correct. And that's become a really popular investment uh, avenue right now for a lot of different groups, both large and small, given the, uh, the advantageous tax benefits of, of uh, low housing income tax credits. So then with, uh, with Project Man, there's so many different ways we can go right here. And uh, yes. I, I guess I'll, I'll be kind of self-serving. We're in the, uh, the BC market, more C than anything, which, which is considered uh, work for ho workforce housing. Could you kind of explain to our viewers exactly what, you know, is meant by workforce housing? You know, what, you know, we, we throw that name around or that, that word around. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, there's several different factors, in my opinion, that goes into to labeling a specific complex workforce housing. Uh, part of it is location-based. Is it in a retail and food service corridor where, you know, you may not be catering to the guy that works in the tall building, but you may be catering to the people that work in the restaurants, that work in the service type industries. There is an affordability component to that and confuses some people because uh, Fannie or Freddie may label one of my deals in Little Rock as affordable, but it's not a LATEC deal, but it's affordable based on the national scale of regards of where the rent rates are, you know, who, who lives there. And, uh, you know, typically there's some form of value add component that can go into this. You know, it may not be a DFW where you go in and do light upgrades and get a $150 increase. It might be a deal where you go in and put new flooring and you may get a 50 to $75 increase. But there's a lot of opportunity in that, in that subsection of multifamily investing, in my opinion right now. And I know a lot of people do go after those deals now. It's become a really hot topic. 
So you mentioned that uh, Fannie and Freddie may call it an affordable deal. What does that mean if they do and it's not a LIHTC deal? Again, LIHTC being more what we would consider affordable housing um, or type of, type of... Yes, sir. I understand what you're asking. It, it could be dependent on what the market averages are on the rents or the national averages on rents based on cost of living, uh, median income and things of that nature. It might be a market, for example, that the average rent rate is $700 and the average rent rate at this specific complex that we're talking about, the subject property may be 550. Okay. So it does have an affordable component to it as well. So then what does that mean in terms of like pricing of the loan, in terms of restrictions of things that you can do or can't do, you can't raise rent, rents, um, if you will? No, 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 sir, not, it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily pertain to it in that, in that, John or that area, if you will. Now, if it's a true LIHTC deal and it has a lure on it, yes, there's certain, you know, ramifications and certain guidelines that you have to follow and ramifications, I should right. say, if you, if you fail to meet those in regards to reporting, annual rent increases, uh, can you charge for rubs, can you not charge, charge for rubs? Typically on those conventional just market rate type buildings and loans, you do have the ability to go in and achieve and realize and recognize that value to you know whatever plan that that may investment investment group may have. Okay, so right now we're kind of in the couple of months into COVID, and um, mm -hmm. there was a, a huge concern. I know in the multifamily uh, world when we first started this process uh, that there was going to be you know a bunch of um, we, we weren't going to be able to collect rents. But it seems like we've been pretty solid so far in collecting rents. Do you see that continuing moving forward? Well, I, I do want to throw a disclaimer out before I answer sure. that one. I, I am not a medical professional by any means and uh, you know, nothing like that. And I certainly don't have a crystal ball, but I've been very impressed and very pleased and somewhat surprised. Uh, as a company on you know, almost 20,000 units, we were 90% collected in April. We were 94% collected in May and almost the same in June. And we're trending in July already right where we were in June. So it has been very, very surprising, very, very nice in that aspect. Of course, there's been stimulus packages, you know, unemployment, state rate plus six hundred, six hundred dollars, and the, the the tenants are using that to to, to pay rent. Are you seeing now people pay they, ahead? Are you seeing people pay ahead? In the in in the A class, A class, and some of the B class, and some market specific, yes, we are seeing people that are, that are paying sixty to ninety days ahead on their rent. And uh, I think a lot of them are doing that through this through the stimulus checks and and you know some of that extra unemployment money. Uh, you know some some of the tenants are making more money, quite frankly, than than they really ever have. You know, taking advantage of that program until they can get back to work. Uh, you know, we're taking it on a month to month basis right now. We're closely monitoring collections every day, not only to the previous month but really the previous six months. So we're comparing July right now with with January forward on day-to-day -day the best we can on the way the calendars fall and and you know doing what we have to do in, in whatever location to you know see what's going on and be able to, to to build kind of a model so we can stay in touch with the investors because we want to recognize those problems early on and, and try to take a proactive approach to it so then let me talk about some of the operators that you work with, you know, in, in terms of future projection. Again, you know, neither one of us are medical professionals, neither one of us have crystal ball, uh, but you've had a number of years of experience in this area. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm pretty sure you're talking to a bunch of other operators. Are they out buying right now or are they just sitting and, and you know, waiting to see what's happening? 
the, the previous two months, I've seen a lot of kind of a wait and see type mentality. Uh, you know, there's been some deals closing. I think when all this started, we had approximately 11 deals under contract. And um, I think we ended up doing getting three of them actually across the finish line. And only one of them really had any size. So I've been seeing a lot of people kind of waiting and seeing what's going on. Uh, but it started to fire back up the last two or three weeks. From an acquisition standpoint, I've seen more, more groups going after deals than I've seen at any, any point over the past five years. So it, it is starting to heat back up. Now, you do have, uh, you know, extra reserves and lender requirements right. that are very prevalent right now with Fannie and Freddie and even, even some other lenders, which, you know, are tough because, you know, you're having to go out and raise a lot of that money in a lot of cases on the front end, which has a material impact on the deal. Mm-hmm. And I'm still seeing purchase prices hovering right around where they were pre-COVID. So that's tough when insurance costs are rising, when real estate taxes are going up, uh, when lenders require extra escrows and then still get the same purchase price that you would have nine months ago. It's It's been tough in that aspect. So so then basically if the, if the purchase price is still the same as it was, you know, some months ago, then that's just a bunch that's going to actually compress your uh, your returns, if you will, that you're going to, you know, you're expecting to have initially. Yeah, yes, sir. That's that's exactly right. So I think something will have to give on that. Um, okay. I, I don't foresee that probably being the remainder of 2020, uh, maybe late first quarter 2021 or second quarter uh, 2021. Okay. So now let's let's shift the, the conversation a little bit here. Thank you very much for giving us a, a future, a little bit more of your background. Um, say as a new person, new operator that's coming into the field, you know, we, we, uh, we have a team um, and, uh, you know, you are definitely a part of that in some of the markets that we've been, been looking, looking at. Um, but I don't think I've ever asked you directly, and I think it'd be useful for those that are listening. What is it that a, a new operator or someone is new to the business, um, what, what, what should they do? How should they present themselves to you? Uh, what do you think that they need to be doing, if you will, from your vantage point as a, as a property manager? And also, do you also invest um, in, in deals? I think that might be useful for other people as well. Sure. Uh, I always encourage you to do their research on whatever property management firm it is. Okay. okay. And there's a lot of different avenues to do, to do that through, whether it's through reference checks, whether it's through satisfied clients, uh, whether it's driving five of their locations in, in a market maybe that the, the new investment team is looking at. How do the properties present? How do the staff present themselves? And to me, that's the best first place. And the second place is obviously a, a call. Call and email. How do the philosophies align between the two organizations? Because uh, property management is one of the most integral parts of helping investors reach their investment returns and investment goals, okay? And then on the investment team side, I encourage the, the use of, a, of an asset manager, whether that's a member of the team, you know, however that plays out to serve as kind of a point of contact and a liaison in between the management company and the group, okay? The third step to that would be to establish, you know, what, what are the fees? You know, what, what is the fee structure? Uh, is it a type of situation where the more money I make, the more money the property manager makes? Is it a flat rate fee? Is it 3%? Is it 10%? What's the payroll look like? But to get a true all-inclusive list of fees that the property management companies do charge, because 
all property management companies are the same, but they're, they're different in that same respect in what yeah. they charge for, for their services. Uh, in regards to investing, we, we have looked into that. We have done that a few times and we are open to, to doing that in, in the form of whether it's a, a, you know, just a strict monetary investment, whether it's uh, other services that we can provide. But yes, we, we are open to, to, to that. Okay. It just depends on, you know, the area that you're looking in or, you know, whether or not the size is there. That's, so that's correct. That's let's, correct. Let's talk about sizing. What, what type of sizing are you guys looking for moving forward? Okay. Uh, really to enter a new market. Uh, and this is, this is fair for the investment team too. We'd really like to get a hundred, hundred units or more because that allows us to develop economy of scales that we can go out and get you as an investor better pricing, that we can establish a true preferred vendor list. Uh, we have several national accounts and it doesn't matter if it's a 12 unit deal or a, or a 500 unit deal, we're gonna, we've got pricing locked in. Whether it's in Indiana or whether it's in Louisiana, we get set rate pricing. But as far as economy of scale goes, really 100 plus units to enter a new market. And that allows us to hire boots on the ground, a community director, the property manager, and a maintenance technician to, uh, to, to take care from a customer service aspect and a facility aspect of the asset. If it's a market that we currently have a footprint in, uh, size is really irrelevant at that okay. point. You know, if I've already got three, four, five hundred units or more in the market, uh, we would look at any size deal at that point as long as it made sense. Also, rent rates play a role in that. Maybe it's just a 40 unit deal, but maybe the maybe their condos, maybe the average rent's fifteen hundred dollars a month. That plays a big a big aspect in it as well. Is it a full blown heavy lift rehab? You know, that that plays an aspect in it. We do offer uh, in house construction management services. Okay. And literally turn thousands of units and I've, I heard the total the other day of what we I think it's 25 million that we have done just in the past few years on projects for folks just like yourself and investment groups and we've done that in multiple states so we were looking at a uh, potential deal in a, in a market that I won't mention but you remember um, where there would have been if you will a heavy lift um, the situation there was uh, it was 60% uh, rented, so that means, um, you know, 40% vacant, and uh, it did need some significant work. And you're saying that your team would be able to go in, and I think you were not too far, you were in that market, if you will. You all could go in and, and turn that up. How, mm -hmm. how does that kind of look in that sort of situation? You have, again, it's 60% rented, 40% not and the rents are really suppressed compared to the area. How does that normally look? I know every situation is different, but how does that look? How do you guys engage that? We, we would go in and, and be involved in the process. We request to be very involved very early on. And by that, I mean, when you're analyzing the deal, we're happy to, to, to look at your underwriting. We like to be fully involved in the due diligence aspect of it. And we use that time to go through those vacant units and establish a timeline. Okay. You know, for example, unit 101 is going to cost you $3,500 to upgrade it or to update it or just to make it ready. And we think as a result of doing that, you can get $750 in rent. So we will put together a timeline and a pricing structure for you. Um, hey, I think we can lease eight units a month. Uh, I think we can make ready 10 a month and we can give you a chronological timeline, both financially and from a leasing saturation standpoint. 
on what the project looks like long term. And then we can even provide an overall operational assessment that will say, hey, uh, the average of average turnover of the complex is 10 percent a month. Okay. So we're going to turn these six legacy tenants and we're going to make ready these units. It's going to cost X number of dollars. And then you're going to be able to rent them for, for you know, seven twenty five. Got it. So that, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty good that you all have that in-house and that's not going to be something that, you know, an operator is going to have to, to work on outside of that. Um, that's correct. We do offer a one-stop shop type service. If that's what the investment group does want, we offer a la carte services as well and really try to tailor that to, to meet the unique and individual needs of the investment teams. So then let's direct this more to you, you know, in terms of what you're looking for right now. You mentioned new markets, you mm -hmm. mentioned existing markets. What are you all looking for, if you will, in this next, uh, say, six months or so? I know, again, we don't have a crystal ball, but I'm pretty sure that you guys have a, a direction. What, what are you looking for? We do, you know, uh, I'd mentioned deal flows seems to be picking up and I haven't seen any deals close yet. But, you know, COVID really hindered that just with the added escrows and really the uncertainty of it. But then on the flip side of it, we do a lot of management plays as well. You know, a man, uh, owner calls us and says, Dave, you know, I know you operate in Tulsa. Uh, I've got a complex here. I'm not happy with the current management on it. You know, what do you think you can do with it? But that's also slowed down somewhat during this time, just given the uncertainty, because People don't want to switch property property managers in the in the in the midst of a national pandemic, Got so it. that too has also started to pick back up. But okay. you know, re really, the markets that I'm looking at right now are obviously anywhere that we currently do business that we have a chance to not only uh, kind of expand our footprint but also to assist with purchase power and economies of scale, which is mutually beneficial for every ownership group in any given market. Uh, we are looking in Montgomery, Alabama right now and uh, have actually done due diligence on a couple of deals down there. So I'm look, looking in uh, central Alabama between Montgomery, Birmingham, uh, Huntsville, all through there. Uh, anything in uh, the Atlanta MSA and Macon MSA, we're, we're looking. We curr currently manage in the Macon MSA, which is just south of Atlanta. Uh, Northern Indiana, Southern Michigan, both are doing really well right now. Uh, places we have managed before. Tucson, Arizona is another one. So there's several markets, yes, that, that are really, really good markets right now. Now, some of them are almost impossible to find a, a deal in right now, just, yep. just get what else going on. But those are some of the key markets that, that we're looking. So really Alabama, Northern Indiana, Southern Michigan, Tucson, and, and really Georgia in general. Okay. And let me let me see if I can uh, wrap up with this last question. I mean, there, there are more, more things and uh, I want to open it up to you kind of open ended if there's anything else that you think you want to communicate to the team or, or to the uh, to the listeners. But what are some of the mistakes that you commonly see um, that new operators or even um, seasoned operators are making that make your life a little bit more challenging that you you wish that we would not do? Okay. Well, you know, I can impact leasing through various marketing programs that, that, that we've came up with over the past decade. And some of them even transcend markets. You know, what works in Atlanta, you know, in some cases works in Dallas too. But uh, so I can, I can really change leasing and, you know, that's, that's on me at that point. The one thing I can't change are rising utility, uh, rising utility costs, rising insurance costs, 
and a lot of jurisdiction chasing sales much quicker than they have historically and, mm-hmm. and, and, and tax rates and uh, also what the investor pays for the property. Uh, there's times I've been put in situations where I wasn't even involved in the acquisition. And, you know, I'm looking at a property that's got 70% debt service on it. And that's if I'm running it completely full. So it's kind of hard to do when that's the case. Uh, another example, uh, somebody buys a 200 unit deal and says, you know, hey, I'm spending $500,000 on the rehab. Well, I go in and I need a million dollars to even get it to 90% rentable. I may or may not have been involved in the process, whatever the case may be, but I'm running really on a bootstrap budget at that point, and it's hard to get over the hump. That's that's two of the biggest things. Purchase price plays a key role, and I know that's cliche, and that's like, well, duh, Dave, yeah, but really paying attention to that and, and, and you know, leave, leaving some margin in that, especially right now with COVID going on. Right. So so in terms of what a couple of things that you mentioned, you mentioned 70% um, debt. Generally, mm-hmm. you know, Fannie Freddie, you know, you're doing 80% agency debt, right? And then you're raising the other 20%. Um, mm-hmm. so, so having 70% debt is, is good because then you've raised that extra 10%. I mean, you don't have as much uh, yeah. as, a, as a, a payment. Why, why is that an issue, I guess? And, and that I, was, I, I, may, I didn't explain that very well. The 70% was the mortgage was literally 70% of the income. Oh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't talking about LPB. <laughs> Done. I get it. Yeah. Yes. 70, okay. I'm about to say, yeah, that didn't make sense. Okay. Got it. Yes. It leaves very, very little, very little to no margin to operate on just 30% of the remaining collections for, for, uh, you know, utilities, maintenance and everything else. But yeah, 70% LTB. I'm seeing a lot of that right now. And 70 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, that even gives you some some, some sort of better um, uh, better terms. But I, I will say that you know you've been you've been a, a real asset and help in that um, you know as we've been looking at another property in another market, you know we were able to come to you and say, okay, here is our underwriting, here is where we are, and you know you were able to quickly do your thing and say, you know what, I think we can get rents up. So yeah. it, it wasn't a, we went to rentometer.com, which is a great tool, especially for the family, but you're, you're talking to a, a, you know, a property manager who may already be in that area in that particular market and can say, yeah, the rents are low. We can push the rents. And then you can use that and factor that into your underwriting. So that's, um, that's, that's an excellent point. And so I, I encourage anyone, if you're going to be doing anything, make sure that the property management company is a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm gonna 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 take a step back. I mean, and and see if there's anything else. I'm just gonna open ended to you. Is there anything else that you'd like to communicate out there to the community uh, that we should be doing as a best practice, or that you'd like to say, or that you'd like to see moving forward within our industry? Okay. Well, once again, Jonathan, I do appreciate the opportunity to be on to be on your podcast and and, and to address everyone. Uh, best case practices. Really pay attention to markets right now because they are ever evolving. Uh, There's a lot of transitional areas and a lot of markets that, you know, we really need to pay attention to. And transitional doesn't always mean good. It doesn't always mean bad. But to really find someone that can assist you on the current market, just because someone has 20,000 units in two states doesn't mean they will be good in a third or fourth state. Mm -hmm. So really vetting out that property manager, someone that has a good pulse on whatever market that you're looking in, okay? And from that, 
really working on purchase price and setting realistic upside goals for these units. I see a lot of new investment groups that get in trouble when they think they can, you know, they got a $200 rent bump in Dallas. Well, that, that same group thinks, well, I can do the same program in Tulsa or Oklahoma City and get $200 rent bumps as well. Every market has a rent ceiling and they might, might be 500 or it may be 1500, but really paying attention to that on the front end of the underwriting, because let's be honest, I underwrite a lot of deals. We have two analysts and I even underwrite deals here at Trinity. We, we do 20, 30, 20, 25, 30 every week that we're looking at. Okay. Wow. And I can put whatever I want to on that underwriting sheet, right? You know, it, it may be realistic. It may not be realistic. I may underwrite it five times to try to hit the goal that, that, that my group needs or that, that a group's looking for. But to really have an honest upfront approach with sound logic and reason on why we're underwriting a deal that way. And right. me and one of my partners here, we play devil's advocate on, on each other's deals. You know, have we thought of this? You know, what if it's really a $75 rent increase and not a hundred and a quarter? Really stress testing these deals. And that's a service that we provide for the clients right there as well. Uh, you, I have no problem, Jonathan, as you know, uh, of taking your underwriting and saying, hey, I like it. Or, you know, hey, we, we really need to back up on this because mm -hmm. I don't there's no way we can staff it for four hundred dollars a door in payroll. It's going to be nine hundred dollars payroll and getting those conversations out of the way early on in the process, because if my money's already hard on the deal. You know, and someone tells me that, yikes, you know, we, we've got a problem. So I, that, that's a best case practice, but find a property manager that you can form a relationship with. To me, that's the most important aspect of what we do in multifamily housing and whether single family, multifamily, or just, just real property investments is finding someone that you can form that relationship with and someone that can help you scale your business, but can also assist you in multiple areas. Because I've, I work with groups that have 10 property managers. I work with groups that have one property manager, and some of the larger firms tell me it's difficult oftentimes when you're when you're working with five different management groups. Yeah. Okay? Now you get to a certain size, it's inevitable, it has to happen. But working with a property manager that can help you scale and help and help you reach whatever your goals are, is it 2,000 units, is it 500 units or whatever, and kind of having the one-stop shop. That, there are a couple more things that, you, as you kept talking, that popped up to me. So you mentioned stress testing a deal. Mm -hmm. You mentioned part of that was, okay, challenging the assumptions that you had on mortgage increases. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the other ways that you maybe stress test a deal? Um, from a tax standpoint, maybe uh, maybe it's three years in when, the, when it's going to be reassessed. Maybe it's two years in. But looking at what the deal looks like, assuming that it does go to full assessment. Because a lot of people fail to do that. You know, it's supposed to be this. Well, it ends up being this. Now, there's property abatements, property tax abatements, and things of that nature as well. That are certainly not a guarantee, but things that you can utilize. Uh, what do the lost runs look like on the property? What's my insurance rates going to be? Uh, historically, what's been the annual increase? Because I'm seeing as much as 33% increase on some properties at renewal. And some of these properties have pretty clean lost runs, okay? Okay. Uh, Maybe maybe people maybe an investment group's underwriting a property at 95% because it's been 95% on the T12. But what does it look like if something happens and that dro occupancy drops to 85%? Got it. You know, and what are if, you what if seven, go ahead. Are you are you at that point looking at debt coverage service ratio? You know, at 1.0. You know, generally yeah. most most of them you know are looking for a debt coverage ratio of 1.2, 1.25. And I've seen some people say that they stress test their deals by making sure that they increase 
the vacancy until the debt covered service ratio is at 1.0 and then can the property sustain itself uh, that's correct. 1.0 okay that, that, that's a very very sound model uh you know i, I was bringing up uh, when you brought that up maybe the current market 750 what does yeah. it look like if the current market drops to 700 or 670 have you ever seen that in your 10 10 plus years or so doing this business where you you're getting rent cuts and things of that sort I, I have but they've been in transitional areas that went the wrong way instead of the right way okay all right and a lot of them were inner city type okay. deals that you know it was a main road 30 years ago but they built a new side of town and you know it's just not the cool place to live anymore that sort of thing yes got it Last last question, because uh, you brought up twenty thousand units. That's a lot of uh, a lot of details and things of that sort. So technology has got to be a part of that. And um, right. no prop tech has been, you know, property technology has been a real big thing, at least for me recently. And trying to uh, learn about what's out there. What type of technology do you all use right now to help you manage these these units, and that you can offer to an operator? Yeah, we, uh, we utilize right now Entrada software, which is very intuitive. Uh, we do offer owners access to that from a view-only standpoint. Uh, it's SaaS-based, so you can log in from your phone or from Starbucks or wherever you're at. And, you know, how, how's Dave doing this month? Let me, let me run a rent roll. Let me run a delinquency report. There you uh, very transparent. We do weekly reporting as well, which is a very important component. Uh, some some management firms just do a monthly report. You know, you get your profit and loss statement, you get your rent roll, you know, whatever the specific packet is that you need. But we've taken that one step further and, and put a weekly component to it. So I, I've had 25 people visit my property this week. Uh, 15 of them signed an application of them, 10, 10 of them signed a lease. I mean, it's that, that granular, okay? We, since COVID really, it's, uh, it's been beneficial to us, even though it's a horrible situation because it's really forced us to, to utilize that technology more and more. And we have currently signed multiple leases right now and, and never met the tenant. Wow. And we, we have done that through a portal where a tenant may upload their, uh, their employment verification, you know, their, uh, their rental history or whatever the case may be, all, all done with electronic signatures via DocuSign on the actual lease. Wow. Uh, as far as not handling money and online payments, it's becoming more and more of a norm. Even even pre COVID nineteen, a majority of our our, our uh, company and complexes doesn't doesn't even really accept paper money anymore. As far as money orders and checks and all that, tennis that they like paying online. And Trada has a it's like a leasing center, leasing cafe mm -hmm. type thing. Uh, a lot of the management softwares have it, and they go in and set up their profile, and they they can move from. You know, Indiana to Georgia to Texas, the, the, the profile remains intact and they can do everything from submit service requests to work orders to ask staff questions, any of that stuff, type of stuff. So then with, with technology, staying on the technology piece, if you're walking into a new property uh, that does not have technology at all, they don't have a, a website or anything like that, do you all provide those services or do you work with the, the owners to, to create that such that it integrates with this system such that people are able to you know, virtually tour. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously we do solicit ownership feedback because each group is a bit different and, you know, some want to be more involved in that. Some don't want to be involved with it. They, they want me to handle it all. But we, we do offer, uh, I believe it's eight different templates for what property websites, uh, various design, various colors, uh, various functionality on them. 
uh, in regards to the photographs, the, the tours and all that. We typically work with the ISLs like uh, apartments, uh, apartments.com okay. or Rent Path, and they provide 3D tours through their subscription services that we're able to use on other sources as well. Got it. I got it. It's so, very important. It's as instrumental now as it's ever been. Exactly. And I think it will be moving forward, you know, because right. once people get a, you know, get accustomed to going online, uh, there's no need to go and drop off a check anymore at the uh, at the office. That's correct. Okay. Um, well, I, there's more that I could say, but listen, I thank you very much for your time and uh, everything that you're doing for us at Red Boot, and we look forward to working with you. How can people get in contact with you if they are interested in working with you? Uh, they can call me at 479-858-8802 or email me at dave at trinityaaa.com. Okay. I appreciate it, Jonathan. Thank you. My pleasure, man. And we'll make sure that we have uh, all of that information in the description of this podcast. And again, you can always watch us on YouTube uh, if you're not already watching us here. Thanks again, Dave, for your time and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Likewise. Take care. Bye.